Romans 15 is where we're going to be this morning. If you have a, in the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1125. If you have your own Bible, it's in the New Testament, the book of Romans. Um, we are going to, right now we're in the middle of a sermon series on what is a healthy church. It's the beginning of the year. It's a time when we kind of go back to some of the basics. We remind ourselves of, of what the scripture teaches about the church, what is the church. Some of you have a lifetime of experience in the church. Some of you um, have, have less than that. Some of you kind of new to it. So I know there's people all over the map of that. And so this is the beginning of the year when we kind of just revisit, like, what is what is God's intention for the church? Like, what does he want the church to be, to do? What are certain aspects of the church, uh, characteristics of the church that he desires to be among us and within us? And so today, we're going to be talking about um, community with one another, accepting one another just as Christ accepted you. And before we do so, we have a new mission statement that I'm going to, we're going to repeat for quite some time. Um, it is equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. Can you guys say it with me? Equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. As we proceed forward as a church, every ministry, every event, we just were doing it some yesterday, thinking about ministries here. Like that's that's I you know, there's many ways to summarize what God has for us as Christians. And that's just one, right? Equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. And so every ministry, everything we do here, we're, we're, we're going to be continually saying, is that fit? Like, is that, is this ministry or this thing we want to do as a church, is that aimed towards equipping Christians? We call that in Christianese discipleship, right? Um, equipping Christians to uh, uh, share the love of Christ and share the gospel with our neighbors, is what we do here at Emmanuel, is it aimed towards that? And so that's going to be kind of the filter in which everything we do here is, is going through. If it doesn't quite fit there, um, it, you know, we're going to be saying no to some stuff, and we're going to be encouraging the things that are aimed towards that mission statement. And so last week, we, we talked about um, uh, not emptying the cross of its power, uh, uh, the things that church ministry should be dependent on, depending on the spirit of God and not our own effort, efforts or wisdom or cultural methods to gain prominence or to gain influence or to grow our church. Um, but today, as we talk about community with one another, I have a few just comments to make. Uh, we live in America, which is the most individualistic nation on earth and really in history, okay? Um, if you visit other parts of the world, especially in the East, it is a, what they call a collective society, right? Where, where relationships and neighborly dependence is much more, it's not even, I can't even say it's common, it's necessary for survival. Um, those, those of you who have spent time in the East know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but there's also just a, a culture of hospitality, of being welcoming, you know, um, but um, in America, like, we, we, we're not like that, okay? We, we build our homes more and more. Like, if you look back at older homes from, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, it's common to see big front porches because a big focus of how we built homes was the front. Because if you're on your front porch, other people are on their front porch close to you, your neighbors, you're going to 
be interacting. It was a place where people spent their evenings. But as time progressed, and we create things like television, and we create things that have our individual attention, suddenly you even see in our homes how we build them, and we no longer build big front porches. We build back porches, and we put up fences really high, so if we're in our back porch, our neighbors can't see us. And we, we are more and more just kind of cutting ourselves off and off from one another as we are at home staring at our screens alone with our families and having less and less time communally with those around us. And I believe the result is that you and I are just very unfamiliar with something as basic as friendship. Like, especially us men in this room, we stink at friendship. I mean, we're awful at it. We really are. Uh, it, it's something that we, you know, some, if, if there's like a, a sensitive kind of conversation, we're usually, it's easy to be like, I just want to do that. And there's a door and kind of walk away. And, you know, like we, we, it's, it's easy. We just want to avoid those kind of, it's not natural in America to have meaningful friendships. It's really not anymore. Um, we have to look at Scripture as we talk about community in the church because you have to realize at the very beginning of time, just scratch America, scratch other societies. What did, how did God create us as human beings? If you look in the very first two pages of our Bibles, yes, he created the stars and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals and all these things. When he created humankind, after making Adam, he said, it's not good. There's something wrong. There's only one of you. There's something wrong. This isn't good that you are alone. And so, of course, he creates Eve. He uses a, a, a rib from Adam, it says, showing the intimate nature that humans are connected and to be together. And once Eve is created, you have this beautiful picture of Adam and his new wife, and you have God, and there's this triad of, of relationships that they're just together. And it's beautiful, and it's kind of the ideal of God and human beings and human beings with one another. But the human beings' relationship is, is together only in its flourishing state because they're also with God, and that's how things were intended to be. But when sin entered the picture, um, there's two relationships that immediately broke down. And we're not going to read Genesis chapter 3, but if you can read it, when human beings were tempted... Um, to be like God and to want to do the things God did, when sin entered, they were cut off from God, kicked out of the garden. But even before they were kicked out of the garden, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? They ran away from each other. They hid from each other and started essentially accusing the other of, it was her fault, it was his fault, her fault, and, you know, that kind of like that meme, you see people like pointing at one another, like that was what was going on with Adam and Eve. They're just like, him, no. Boom, break in the vision of their friendships and their, and their marriage and their relationships, and boom, break in their relationship between God as well by getting exiled from Eden. And so if you want to look at what Scripture says about relationship, about community, we know that God created us to be with him while we are with one another. Without sin, without separation. I think one day God will restore that when he returns. But uh, through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, as, he, um, uh, as, as we become Christians and he sends his spirit within us, we have the phrase that theologians say that the kingdom of God is here but not yet. It means like the rule and reign of Jesus is 
back, the rule and reign of God is back as it was, but it's not fully here. It's not fully manifest among us. It's almost like we have a glimpse, like we see a shadow of it kind of here, but it'll be fulfilled the day that he returns. And so among the church, we're supposed to be, I'm preaching my whole sermon before I even get into it, but we'll, we'll break this down. The, 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 the church is supposed to be a glimpse of what was formerly there in Eden, people in harmony together with God, in unity with one another. We're supposed to be a glimpse of that in a world that we know is not in unity. <laughs> we are not a unified nation in many ways, right? Um, but the church is supposed to be a glimpse of what could be by the help of God and by his salvation through Christ, by his spirit. And so the early church, 2,000 years ago, struggled with this. You know, at churches, we struggle with this today. We have 20,000 plus denominations, right? It's like somebody wants to, you know, uh, baptize differently, and Christians are like, that's it, we're starting our own denomination, and they just break apart. Like, we love to find reasons to leave a church and start new ones, right? Um, it's just a thing we do in America. It's crazy. I think Paul, if he were alive today, would be just amazed at how divided we are, even as a church. We haven't done well in this, but the early church struggled with this too, they also knew that they needed to be unified in Christ, but they had some struggles. So before we dive into Romans 15, 1 through 7, here's a little background to help us understand what the struggle was from the early church. So without going to crazy details, the emperor, um, well, the first, the best we can figure out is the early Christians in the city of Rome, this is the epicenter of the empire, they were Jewish Christians. That was the earliest Christian population in the city of Rome were Jewish Christians and house churches. Now, a couple of different times in Roman history, the emperor of Rome actually kicked the Jews out of Rome. And so there was a season around 40 or so AD that that occurred. Um, and so these early Jewish Christians were forced to leave. But upon their exit, a lot of non-Jewish uh, uh, Romans became Christians. So they had their house churches right? There wasn't that many of them. They think they think there are maybe three to four of them or so. But eventually, the, the exiled Jews out of Rome were invited back. And so when they come back, they're like, oh, there's non-Jewish Christians. And so the Jewish Christians had kept, uh, you know, they were good Torah-keeping uh, Jews. They were, they were eating kosher. They were, you know, they had their, they maintained their life as now messy, we call them messianic uh, uh, Christians, Jewish Christians, but these Gentiles, not so much, right? They were having their uh, pig roast after church on Sunday morning. And the Jewish Christians are like, whoa, like, whoa, we can't, no, we don't eat that stuff. And, and suddenly we see a lot, of, a lot of evidence in the back chapters of Romans that there was some tension between these two groups of Christians, because now they were forced to worship together, but they had a lot of differences. They brought a lot of cultural baggage to the picture, and it was a cause for division, and so um, that is ultimately kind of what Romans is about. And we see the back chapters is Paul, after going through big theological stuff in chapters 1 through 12, the last few chapters, he's like, all right, now, how can we get you guys to get along? Like, how can we do this? And he, he breaks that down. The reality is, by nature, church is not tribal. The church is one. We shouldn't be divided. And when we are divided, we're going to re realize that there's somewhere along the line, we got something wrong, and that sin is present. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to dive into Romans uh, 15. My Bible just shut on me. And so, if you have your Bibles, read the first five 
First verse, seven verses here. This is the word of the Lord. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ had accepted you. Just, just by, by summary's sake, okay, as this division was present, you can read the chapters before and see the division was present there. Never does, as Paul say, um, you know, maybe if you guys aren't getting along, it's just best to separate. Maybe it's just a good thing. Just separate, do your own thing. You guys do your own thing. Um, Paul never wants, he, he, goes to, he goes to bat for these groups of Christians and says, guys, we got to figure this out. And he swings and he's going at it. He's trying to, he's laboring hard to keep these Christians together and to not see them separate. Um, and so as we dive in here, that first verse, he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul identifies with the strong here. And in the chapter before, there's a big section about food and diet and the way they were eating and how that was causing division. Um, and it's clear that in Christ, okay, you can read the, the Hebrew scriptures and find dietary laws, but it's clear that in Christ, uh, food is no longer clean or unclean in him. We're free to eat what we please, free to follow whatever diet we would like, but there's nothing that's clean or unclean any longer. Jesus says that in Mark, and, and Paul makes that argument in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 14. And so therefore, he probably is considering the stronger in these churches to understand that reality. That says, it's, you know, it's okay if you have a slice of bacon, okay? It's not going to be a sinful thing, because in Christ, all food is made clean, um, but it just this weakness and strength that goes beyond just food, okay? Because he's looking at things like spiritual maturity or spiritual development or where they are at in their Christian life. And if we think strong is a compliment from Paul, I don't really think it's so much of a compliment to identify those who are strong. Many New Testament, you know, people who are smarter than me that worked on this book and try to understand stuff, it looks like these two sides are a little puffed up, thinking like, well, we're right. And they're wrong. And for you to, you know, really do this right, you're going to come on our side of the fence. If not, we're just going to wait for you to eventually understand and be enlightened like us. And there's probably some of that attitude happening between these groups of people. Um, there was not unity in this early church. Um, Paul says, no Christians. He says, you who are a bit more mature, he says this, a bit stronger maybe, he says, you have an obligation to work through this with those who need maybe further, deeper understanding. You have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak brother and sister. He's not saying you should work through this and help those understand these things. Maybe you should. He says, no, you have an obligation to do this and to bear them patiently, right? Don't just divide yourself. Work together 
right? Help one another here. It is difficult for you and I to understand. We read that and we're like, okay, that kind of makes sense, right? If you spend some time in the church, we talk about discipleship and that's good, but in this Roman Empire, like the strong to bear with the weak was such a radical, radical statement. In this ancient empire, it was very normal to be divided into different classes of people. It was actually honorable for the rich to be divided from the poor, for the powerful to be divided from the weak. And if you had friendships that, that went across that divide, it was only because you could somehow benefit from that. But it was not like an authentic friendship. It was culturally normative to be separate from one another. And Paul says that is not the way of Christ. He came to break those cultural norms and to bring us together in him. So things like food is no longer a dividing point. That's what the world likes to fight about. Silly things that are calls for division. He says, no, not here, not within Christ's church. And he says, you have an obligation to labor at this. As we embark on creating more and more opportunities here at Emmanuel for discipleship, I want all of us to take this to heart. We have people in this room that are just I'm walking with Jesus for more than two of my lifetimes, right? Some of you are just a few months or a few years into your faith. And if you talk about this not just being, you know, uh, uh, spiritual maturity, I want to even go beyond that. This, some of you are in seasons of strength. Like there is a, 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 a season where things are just steadfast, things are really good for you, all the cylinders are, are just firing. And when those seasons happen, we're grateful and we're thankful for them. Some of you walk into this room in a season of weakness where you're like, I don't have any cylinders like firing at all right now. <laughs> like the whole engine just blew and I'm coming in here and I, I need help. Like I'm, that's why I'm here. Like I need help and... And in the same situation, it's like you who are in a good season in life by God's grace and blessing, the person who is struggling, the goal is for you to come alongside of that person to pick up their arms and say, look, right now God has blessed me to be in a season where I have the strength to come alongside of you. And his purpose is to have you in such a weak season right now. We don't know, but I'm going to come in here. I want to pray for you. I want to be with you. I want to help you and encourage you and walk you with you through this time of weakness. That is how we respond to that. It can be messy to step into that. It's much easier to say, you know, I just want to keep walking in my lane because this is cozy over here. Everything's going well. If I take on somebody else's burden, like, I could mess up my juju over here. Like, I don't want to do that. And Paul says, no, you have an obligation because one day, you know what's going to happen? You'll be in that season of weakness. You'll be in that time of struggling. And the tides are going to flip. You're going to say, I'm the one who needs help. We know that life can change just like that. Everything, like nothing is guaranteed when you leave this room and on the way driving home that your life can't just change instantly forever. And we know this, right? We know this. And so we need, there's a couple of things to imply from this. We need to be close to one another enough, closer, close enough to one another to know that somebody is in a season of weakness, right? To be able to then come alongside of them and to help them. There's lots to gather from this. Because the default, as Paul mentioned that first verse, is to please ourselves. That's our human default. And yes, as Christians, we know sin is still present. Our default is to think about ourselves first and to think about doing what's best for us, Right? 
a lot of this kind of happens. I'm going to give a, a, a big signal that somebody's in a weak spot, okay? And maybe that's you in this room. Because I've, I've been here, trust me, so many times. Um, when you're in a hard spot, here's your first instinct. And this is actually has a pleasing self-motivation uh, behind it. The Bible speaks to it. Those who are in a weak spot, here's the easiest thing to do is to isolate yourself. Is to say, I'm just not going to show up to where, where my church is. I'm just going to stay back. I know it's a pandemic, and I know that we've all were forced in isolation, and we've maybe developed isolating habits more so than ever before, right? And it's now, due to technology, easier to do so more than ever before. But there's a danger that comes to that because maybe um, uh, you're isolating yourself because you don't want to let people in, right? You don't want to give that burden up, and you're just kind of maybe falling into a depression or falling into whatever it is. You just kind of want to stay home in a corner and just kind of stay there and not let anybody in. Proverbs 18 says that the person who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Pastorally speaking, if people are like here, and then they're kind of here, and then they're just really spotty, not here, and then they're just kind of, you know, not around, it's the first sign, like something's up. They're isolating themselves. Something's going on. And I want you guys to be able to have that instinct as well to see somebody that maybe was in the pew next to you that now is sporadic and not really there anymore to say, what's up? What's going on with them? Call them. Reach out to them. They probably need somebody to call them and say, are you okay? Like what's going on in your life? Why aren't you here more than you used to? Um, reach out to them. But back to the text. There's an indication in the next verse in how they chose to be together in these early house churches. Whatever their response was to one another, it can be implied by the next verse in verse 2 that each group, the strong and the weak, were more concerned about themselves than the other group. They were concerned about their own tribe. They were concerned about pleasing themselves. Rather, Paul says in verse 2, he says, Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Our model for relationships, for not pleasing ourselves, but rather seeking to build one another up, is Christ. But he is more than a model. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest. In heaven right now, he intercedes for us. When we pray, he catches our prayers, and he fixes them up, and he brings it to God, right? However, Jesus is even more than just our interceder, right? As he ascended to heaven, he sent his spirit to indwell us. And if you are a Christian today, there's a remarkable truth. I talk about this all the time because it just blows my mind all the time that we are in spiritual union with Jesus right now. That he is in us and we are in him. Therefore, when you see and read about Jesus, when you see here Paul using Jesus as an example for how to live in the ways that we're talking about this morning, you must look deeper into it and realize that your very life now is in Christ. How you interact, therefore, with one another, with the world, with your coworkers and family and your spouses and girlfriends and every boyfriends and everything else around you, how you interact with every relationship in your life, it is now Jesus that kind of stands between you and everything in your life. I don't know why I thought of a cookie machine for a good analogy here, but if you are a cookie machine and you spit out cookies, they would be cross-shaped is what I'm trying to say. You get, you get what I'm trying to say? Everything that you interact with now is in and through Jesus, and the result is that it comes out in cross-shaped living. 
The remarkable thing here, if you pay attention to what Paul is is comparing to the weak brother, he's actually comparing the weak brother to to God. If you look at uh, verses 2 and 3, he says, um, uh, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Those who were after God is who Jesus, Jesus was so identified with God the Father that he inherited the very insults from God himself. And Paul, if you pay attention to the text, he's, he's kind of comparing, saying that the, the weak brother next to you treat them um, almost the same way as if when love God, love neighbor, right? It's a remarkable, uh, the, the cross is a cross of weakness. We talk about this all the time. The cross is it, a display of weakness. Um, we need to choose the path of weakness, of not identifying with strength, but identifying with weakness within our relationships and in our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this in an amazing way. He wrote a book called Life Together. If you haven't read Life Together, you got to read Life Together. It's like this big. It's so good. Um, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say. He says this, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter encounter, or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. What does this mean, Bonhoeffer says? It means first that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means second that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. And third, that in Jesus Christ we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for all of eternity. Paul said it a little more succinctly. Colossians 3 verse 3, For you have died... And your life is now hidden in Christ and God. The minute that community here in the church, our congregational relationships, the minute that this community loses sight of this, you will think that Christian community should somehow be about something else or somehow be about you maybe. How does this benefit me? How is this church, what is this church going to do for me? How's this church going to serve me? Paul shows us that by reaching back to Psalm 69.9, quoting it, all of Jesus's aim in life was to please God the Father. Jesus said that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, John 14.11. So much so that his life was so utterly lost in God. He was so identified with God, mirrored in God, himself being the God-man, that if someone threw an insult at God, Jesus by default was the one who also received it because he, because how he lived in every way pointed others to God. And surely that's why he died, right? He died on the cross because of all the reproaches against God indeed fell on him. And it must be seen that in the life of Jesus, when you give all of your love, all of your affection, all of your life, when you pick that cross up and it says you lose your life in order to find it, you know who is most affected when you begin embracing that cross life, when you lose your own life. You know who is most impacted? It is those around you. When you give yourself away to God, you are also, in effect, giving yourself over to those around you in love. Because to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to love your neighbor as yourself. To do so, friends, we must, as a congregation, remain committed 
to the scriptures. And that's what Paul says here in verse 4. He says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Those who wish to isolate themselves when you're in that hard spot in life, you're going to find yourself also isolating yourself from this. Because if you open this up and you really say, Holy Spirit, like, speak to me, it's going to bring conviction of sin. It's going to bring a drive to say, wait, I, I need my brothers and sisters in my life. I need more of Jesus in my life. It's going to pull you out of isolation. And I think you probably know that. So if you are in that weak spot, you do want to isolate yourself. You're going to find yourself in isolation from this. And you need to have that red flag in your mind that says, wait, if, if, if I'm being drawn away from scriptures, if I'm being drawn away from, from daily just opening this, up, opening this up and praying through this, if I'm being drawn away from that, that means I'm under, definitely under spiritual attack. And Paul says, you look to the scriptures for endurance and for encouragement, because within them, we have hope. So don't just read the Bible, guys. We need to let the Bible read us. Does that make sense? Don't just read the Bible, but let the Bible read you. Right? Because if you don't have that kind of thing, you can find whatever you want this to mean in your life, but let the Bible read you. There is hope for a church to find such community and such unity. And Paul continues in verse 5. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourself as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As we're on the back end of our sermon now, this early church struggled with unity, as we have seen. We talked about the different spiritual realities of being Christians, bringing some stuff home to our lives today. Paul tells us here a few things that are practical and necessary in order to cultivate this kind of Jesus-centered unity here amongst us in this room. We need endurance. We need endurance because as we get close to one another, we're going to need more endurance because we will really get on one another's nerves. I mean, that's what happens, right? Any friendship relationship that you have that you kind of give yourself into, eventually you're going to offend one another. You're going to step on somebody's toes. Even the name of trying to help them or just be a friend, you're going to say something stupid that's going to be misinterpreted and you're going to offend them. I'm sure I've offended half of you in this room the past couple of years. It just happens, right? And we know this about relationships, but we need endurance to say we're going we're to persevere through silly things like that, not let those things divide. We're going to work through those things because in Christ we are together. Secondly, encouragement. We need continual encouragement to find such unity because we know that unity in Christ is up and against the norms of human nature. We need continual encouragement to keep fighting that good fight, to make present in all of its imperfection the manifestation of our spiritual union in Christ among one another. This is, as we close here, this is why this is such an important topic, all right, to remind ourselves of. The result is when we find such community and such unity, our praise to God is raised in unison, our, our worship to God is raised in unison, and we seek to accept one another because Jesus accepted us. 
and there is spiritual power in unity. As we try to cast a vision for unity together, um, I want to read these verses from Jesus in his, what we, what we call it the high priestly prayer. The night before he died, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Listen, listen to the words because this is not just some task. It's like, all right, so we need to be together as a church. I get that. But there's a bigger spiritual reality going on, okay? As we talk about a world that is divided and is scarce to find people that over ideological lines or disagreements that are still willing to like shake hands and not demonize one another and look all throughout history, that's kind of problems always surface. The idea, one of the ideas of the church and unity together is we are giving a glimpse of the world that there may be a different way. There may be a different way to be human in that regard, and there's only one person that we can find unity together within disagreements, within our differences, within forgiveness, and within grace, and it's in Jesus Christ. John 17, verses 20 to 21 said this. He's, this was Jesus praying. He says, I don't ask, I do not ask for these only, for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who will believe. This was 2,000 years ago. Guess who he's praying for? He's praying for you. 2,000 years ago, he had you in his prayers. Not just the people alive right now, Jesus says, but for those who will believe in me. He's praying for you here, church. In verse 21, he prays for us that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? Just so we can have some good friendships in life and that's it? No, no. It's so much deeper than that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. According to Jesus, what happens when the church taps into the spiritual power of community? Those around us will see Jesus here. It becomes a witness of the gospel to our city. You know what an anti-witness of the gospel is? Division. Church splits having tens of thousands of denominations. Anything that causes division in the church is not of Christ. I dream of having a church that is full of the rich and poor and elderly and young and spiritually mature and infants in Christ and Republicans and Democrats with brown or white skin and whatever other means of the vision our society likes to talk about. I would love to see a church that just erases all those things because in Christ we are together and the power and the witness of the gospel has gone forth that says, wow, you mean that w- w- there's, there's that kind of death of, of relationship available? We say yes, but it's only available, available in Christ. If we are in Christ, walking in Christ, I'm telling you, church, we will be unified. As we have pointed out, it will not be perfect. It's going to be bumpy. But the testimony to the city of Wilmington is going to be one of great spiritual power and witness to the power of the good news of Jesus in a continually divided nation. So what I want to do this morning... Um, uh, I just want to speak to a couple of things before I read this last part. Um, if you're here this morning and, and, and you are in need of somebody in your life, you, you are in need of uh, 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 
help or um, you're, you're, you brought in a relationship or something into this room that is just broken, but it means the world to you. And you, just, you need some kind of healing and restoration or hope. Uh, if, if you came into this room in that seasonal weakness and you need uh, uh, another brother or sister to come alongside of you and just to speak truth and comfort and encouragement, if you came here just searching with tons of questions and you need a brother or a sister to come and just sit and just give you an ear, if any of you uh, fit into that category, um, I encourage you to take advantage of the next few minutes. I'm going to call Derek up um, as he's going to come play a little piano, and after he's done, uh, well, the worship team can come up as well. We're going to have a final song here in a few minutes, but um, here's what I want to ask you guys to do. There might be somebody in this room, okay, that, in that category that um, maybe you don't know at all. Maybe you look around the pews next to you, you're like, I don't even know who that person is. I know I've seen him in her face a couple of times. I never met him. Um, if, you're, uh, um, if you're in this room and there's somebody in this room that maybe you've been carrying an offense with, and there's to be reconciliation in that relationship, and that person's in this room, maybe you offended them or they offended you, and there's a break in that relationship. Maybe you need to do some repenting. Um, what I want to just encourage, whatever you are on that map, I want to have a few minutes here to where, um, for prayer, sit up and go find somebody you never met before in this room. Say, how can I pray for you? If you are in need of prayer, go find somebody and say, I need somebody to pray for me. If you need to be just alone with Jesus in your pew right now, to say, Lord, I, I need to get there. I'm not ready to invite somebody in yet, but Lord, break down the walls until I get there. Or maybe you just need to open up to the Psalms and just spend a few minutes praying to Jesus. Um, I, I, I want to see us just practicing community this morning. Like, this isn't a performance. Sometimes I get irritated at preaching like this because I feel like I'm on a stage. You guys are just like distant watch. Like, we're a family here. There's a, a togetherness that must be happening even on these Sunday morning services. And so for a few minutes, can we do that? Can, can you go either just find somebody you never met before and just go, how can I pray for you? you go find a friend and say, I just want to pray with you or just get your spouse and just sit and have a time of prayer together or go repent to somebody that you offended last week or there's a break in your relationship with or whatever it may be. Let's just spend a few minutes doing that and just have some togetherness this morning. And I pray as we have that togetherness that the Spirit of God will be able to communicate truth and encouragement to one another. So can we do that? I know it may feel awkward and uncomfortable, but I don't care. That's all right. And so let's spend a few minutes doing that.